Welcome to Words of Wisdom. On this podcast, we interview some of the most influential people in the world to uncover how they became the best so that we can help you understand how you can become the best. What's up, everybody? Grant Wise here. Welcome to Words of Wisdom. I am so pumped for my interview today. Uh, I'm connected to the one and only Mr. Brian Colhane, and is the first uh, president of EXP Realty. He's one of the fastest growing real estate companies in the world. And I'm just beyond excited for this interview today. Uh, he, he and I have talked uh, in multiple interviews, and I've always just wanted to come back for more because I certainly learn a lot <laughs> in all of my conversations and interactions with him. And I'm excited for you to get that opportunity today. So Brian, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Grant. Good to see you, brother. Always a pleasure, man. You you ask some of the best, hardest hitting questions out there. So <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I want to start with your story because I know you have an incredible story. Your your path the last uh, few years, uh, going from injury to to where you are today, and and just the the whole journey throughout that process. And so, if you don't mind, can you give us you know what is your story? How did you go through some of the stuff you, you've recently gone through, just kind of share that with our audience so they get a little perspective into to your mindset. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, it's the easiest story to tell because it's mine. And, you know, I do believe everybody has a story to tell. And, and I know, um, you know, we're talking a little bit about leadership and mindset today. So I definitely want to make sure I, I, I cover some of that. But it's funny because, you know, I think if you take this back to, uh, you know, sort of uh, outwitting the devil and Napoleon Hill and sort of the the origin, the origins of success philosophy, if you will, you know, they talk a lot about, um, you know, what makes somebody successful, right? And so if you remember Outwitting the Devil, he went through this whole exercise where he started to interview all these successful people, and he couldn't find a common denominator between the successful people. But then he started interviewing failures, failures and, he, and what he found was that the failures all had something in common, and that was an ironclad sob story. So it's funny now when I tell my story, I mean, a, a lot of it's sort of a sob story and nobody wants to hear your sob story until you're a success story, right? Then the sob story is like, hooray, what an amazing story. <laughs> but it's funny until you reach that point, you know, it's, it's a sob story and, and people run from that. You know, they don't want to hear your problems. They don't, so I'm going to talk a little bit about my old problems, but I'm going to weave it into. So I grew up in Chicago. Um, you know, I was a blue collar kid in a white collar neighborhood. I was surrounded by successful people. I was surrounded by business leaders and industry leaders. And, you know, my friend's parents were the president of Pepsi or the, the CEO of Allstate Insurance. And, and, I, and I was carrying their golf bags, right? So I was a, just a, a little hustler, uh, you know, waiting tables and carrying golf bags. And, and actually, I wasn't even waiting tables. I was bussing tables <laughs> let's be honest here right and uh so i was just you know doing whatever it took you know my my parents uh were great parents uh always there for me spent a lot of time gave me a lot of wisdom love and attention um but financial security did elude my parents um they were recovering hippies uh you know from the 60s and 70s so so i was a 70s baby right and uh and so as you know as i got through those early years um, i learned a few things one was a work ethic you know i played sports um you know my dad told me at an early age brian if you want to go to college you're gonna to have to earn a scholarship i think i had like a one six gpa and was more inclined to go you know fight under the the bridge at lunch than uh sit in math class but i buckled down i hunkered down you know i got it done i ended up getting the scholarship and uh and had a pretty solid college career bounced around a little bit but finished down in 
Louisville, Kentucky at Bellarmine University. Well, after about 27 winners in the Midwest, I wised up. Uh, I grant wised up and I, uh, I threw all my clothes in a garbage bag and I headed out west. I didn't exactly know where I was going. I, I, I had a vision of what I thought the West was. You know, I'd been out to California. I'd been to Arizona a little bit when I was a kid, but I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. So I jumped in my buddy's car. I literally threw all my clothes in a garbage bag, um, you know, was collecting unemployment. I just uh, got fired from some crummy sales job in the commercial real estate space. And, and um, I just said, you know what, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And uh, so I headed out West coasted into town on fumes, was sleeping on my buddy's blow-up mattress, and um, I decided I'm gonna go to real estate school. Uh, I used my last 400 bucks from my last, probably week 98 of my 99 weeks of unemployment insurance, right? And uh, I signed up for real estate school. Um, I also started, I know our last conversation, we really focused on health and wellness, but it was the beginning of sort of my health journey as well, because I started jumping in the pool, swimming, it was still March, in Arizona, even though I felt like it was summer, it was a little chilly to go swimming. And so I was doing kind of the cold plunge, I was working out, hiking. And so that sort of started that, that journey, but also uh, simultaneously, I started interviewing, uh, looking for opportunities, uh, also training to be a waiter as my backup plan, right? So I was training at Eddie V's uh, for, for, as a waiter. And one of the ads I responded to was Glenn Sanford. Um, Glenn was a early expansion team rainmaker at Keller. He was building websites around in various cities that he liked to travel to. And one of those cities was Phoenix. So he was a Canadian living in Bellingham and, uh, go figure. He liked warm weather, warm weather like I did. So, so that's kind of how we met was off of Craigslist. That's incredible. I mean, that's just insane to see how that, I didn't realize that that's how you guys had gotten connected, but uh, that, that's really fascinating. Well, you know, and it's funny because he, uh, this is kind of the inside story. So I was actually still trying to pass my real estate test and he offered me the job. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, leadership and, and taking chances and betting on yourself and, you know, some of these topics that I think we're going to discuss here, you know, that was really a, a, a kind of an interesting moment because I don't know how many, I mean, he offered me a team leader position for a top ranked website that was a lead machine monster. I mean, this thing mm -hmm. was, you know, we, he probably cranked out a billion dollars worth of leads um, in those early years through some of his websites. So, so I That's said, incredible. sure, I'll take a team leader position. And I hadn't even passed my real estate test yet. <laughs> Well, talk to me about like from there to here, because I know you had some health challenges along the way. Uh, it was, was it your hip? That you had, Broke my hip, yep. Yeah, you ended up breaking your hip and, and went through some pretty serious health challenges, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, you think about, I mean, what makes us do anything? You know, I do believe we all are sort of born with a drive to improve and get better and work out. You know, what makes a baby want to crawl? What makes a crawling child want to walk? And you know, what makes a teenager want to head out to, you know, uh, overseas to backpack through Europe. I mean, it's this drive to improve. It's this questing mindset to just get out there. So, so I always had that. And, um, you know, I think it's funny when I went, when I went head over heels, it was off of a mountain bike. So I was actually trying to get better and work out. And, you know, I ended up flipping over a curb and, and, and broke my hip in half. But, but I think, you know, I've noticed if I look back over my life, I always do my best work when my back's up against the wall. You know, that's usually when we kind of, you know, we don't have an option. 
you know, I think of it in a lot of ways as, as it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you don't have a choice. You know, if you think about Sun Tzu and the art of war, you know, he would always position his troops with their back against a body of water or their back against um, a cliff or some way that he knew the only way out was to fight. And that was the only way they were going to live was to fight their way out. And, um, you know, I just think about now, even now that I don't have sort of as many pressures and, 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 you know, just sort of, you know, financial woes or things like that, you know, we've definitely done well. And, and I still find myself manufacturing these little mini crises just to put myself back in that headspace. <laughs> I think that that's a, one of the things you got to know from a leadership standpoint is yourself. I think it's the most important thing that that you can know. And, and I, I think I can relate to you in a big way. I've always felt, I think the only way that I could say this is that just kind of like wartime general philosophy, like I'm better in a bad time than I am at a good time, because I think a lot of people do get complacent and comfortable when things are going well, and you have to really be in a certain headspace to continually push when things are going really good. But when it's bad times, and like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, you got to make progress anyway. Uh, a lot of leaders will turn into different people. And, well, think and, about sports, right? They say in sports, um, you don't learn anything from winning. You know what I mean? Right. Winning masks. They used to say winning can mask a lot of problems that your team oh, has. 100%. When do you figure out where, where, the, where the wheels are coming off, where the weak links in the chain mm -hmm. are? That's when you're losing. So you learn more from losing and failing. Now, what you do with that to, will determine where, which direction your story goes in. But, you know, it's sort of like fall seven times, get up eight, right? I'm curious to know, like, because it sounds like I'm getting a little bit of an insight into your mindset because, you know, things are good now, but they haven't always been this way. Is this what it was at certain points in your life? If I'm remembering correctly, it was maybe two years ago, you were in Las Vegas to give a champagne toast about how you were uh, at a convention for exp years previous and you even had to borrow money to get home sure. and then you know became a millionaire and you know we're giving this champagne i thought it was incredible i love yeah I you know it's it. funny well not only was i at the conference i planned organized and ran the entire conference i you know it was all volunteer team we had very little budget corporately you know it was mm -hmm. all sort of shoestring budget um, this was back in i think 2015 so you know we probably weren't even a thousand agents at that time. Right. So, uh, we put together the whole conference. I mean, I did everything from, you know, wait tables and turn down the AC to book the, you know, the, the talent to the guest speaker to everything. Right. So we were running the whole thing. And by the end of it, um, I mean, I, you know, people were like, Oh, did you gamble all your money away? I was like, no, I didn't even have any money. <laughs> gamble. As a matter of fact, the money I had, I spent just, getting through that four or five days. And at the last day we all went out to dinner and I had to borrow some money from two of my good friends, Dave Harbor and, and, and Tom Morrissey, um, other, you know, EXP originals and, uh, and a hundred dollars each. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to the well for 200 on one guy. So I spread it out and took a hundred and I did pay them back by the way, but it's just funny. Three years later, I was giving the champagne toast from the, you know, rooftop balcony at MGM and, you know, um, you know, my ships had come in. I love it, man. I, I love those stories. And I think you were, you were nail on the head when you started this, like nobody likes a sob story until, unless it's coming from somebody that has a success story. I want you to walk me through 
who did you become? Let's just use that, that time frame. you know, the three years previous to your champagne toast. How did you develop yourself into the, that version of Brian Colhane that was given that toast? Like what, what did it take from a mindset standpoint? Was it just persistence? Was it, you know, the, the wartime mindset? Like what was it? How did you develop throughout that process so that you could be standing there to do that? You know, it's a great question. You know, I had lunch with my high school basketball coach the other day. Um, he was out here, Brian James, an amazing guy in his own right, um, an amazing career in coaching. I mean, he's coached at the NBA level as an assistant coach for Doug Collins at the, um, in, in the NBA. He was, uh, 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 he's now an assistant coach for uh, Northwestern University for Doug Collins' son, Chris Collins. He was a top flight high school coach. And, and I look back at some of the stuff that he imparted to us as players, and it really was that work ethic, that, you know, bootstrap mentality. You know, we were breaking three or four sweats a day. Um, you know, we'd have three, four-hour game film review sessions. We'd, uh, you know, we, we'd get 10-page scouting reports on the other team. So, so he was such a master at preparation, analysis, and, and really pushing us to be better. So I, I truly believe, looking back, that he was using basketball to just make us better people. And, um, you know, so that sports, that work ethic, I think is very valuable. And, and at some level, I think that's why Glenn hired me. You know, he liked that I, he, you know, because I think what does sports really produce? It makes you, you know, you have to be a leader, but you also have to know when to be a team player. So it's kind of that combination of knowing when to step up, you know, players make plays, and, uh, and knowing when to be a role player and where you fit in. And, to any organization, let alone a sports team. So it's just always having that ability to know where I fit in. How does a person's identity uh, translate to the moment that maybe they're in? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, obviously our personalities, at some level, I feel like I'm the same guy I was when I was 12 or 13 years old. You know, I have the same mindset, but, it's some, but in the same respects, you know, I've also evolved my consciousness through, you know, reading books on philosophy, business, literature. But, but a lot of us know, Glenn would say it like this. He'd say, if we just implemented 25% of what we already know we should be doing, we'd be more successful beyond our wildest dreams. Well, so unpack that for a second. If you just implement, so the key phrase being implement, right? 25% um, of what we already know we should be doing. See, I think a lot of people get caught up in this sort of like, I need to learn more. I need to read more. I need to watch more podcasts. I got to take more classes. I got to get more certifications. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to, I got And then I'll be ready to do the do. But like in, in, you know, I'm a Socratic philosophy guy. You know, I'm currently reading Marcus Aurelius meditations for the second or third time. And, you know, Socrates would say, um, you know, in order to question the do, you have to have done the doing. Right. So you, you got to do it first, then you can question it and analyze it. But until you've tried something, you have no business questioning it or analyzing. It. Um, so I've definitely instituted that. And, I, and I've got kind of a new mindset about sort of my decision making. I call it intuitive decision making. So what's intuitive decision making? Well, listen, we all have genius ideas. Right. I mean, you have a lot of great ideas. I see all the stuff you're doing. Grant, you're like me. You've got this boil the ocean mindset, right? You want to do it all, right? Podcasts, TV shows, coaching programs, you know, leadership training. I mean, you're doing a million things. And so we all have these great ideas, but it's the people that act on those great ideas that are, we consider geniuses. You know, um, I think it was Emerson who said, what we often recognize as genius 
are our own ideas unacted upon. So again, you know, we'll see something, we'll go, oh, that's genius. And you're going, why is that genius? Because you had that same idea and you just didn't implement it. And so you're going, he's a genius. That guy's a genius. I had that idea. I thought that same thing, but boy, he's a genius. So what's the difference between the good idea person and the genius? They implement their good ideas. They act on it. So it's like we all have this conversation all day long in our brain. Like, and it even applies to like, oh, I should pick up the phone and give Grant a call. Mm-hmm. Well, you have that thought. Now you either act on it or you don't. Now, a lot of us go, oh, I'll call him later. But then we never remember to call you, you know, or I'll see your name. And I'm like, man, I need to catch up with that guy. I haven't talked to him in about six months. And it's always great catching up with him. And that's why I think you're such a success because you actually act on those ideas. You implement, you reach out, you follow up, you, you know, you put the note down, you write down the you chicken scratch out the invention idea. You, you know, you pencil out the podcast format or whatever, right? You just got to write it down. And then once it goes from a thought to an actual action, you know, we just sat in uh, Brandon Dawson's, um, you know, who's Grant Cardone's partner, uh, Cardone Ventures. He's the CEO of Cardone Ventures. We just sat in a 360 uh, event with them, which is basically a business incubator mastermind program they have. And I mean, the number one reoccurring theme are uh, words matter, right? Mm -hmm. He just keeps repeating words matter. And like when he's role playing, he's just picking apart your words because those words, like he says, you know, and this is a, you know, this isn't Brandon's quote, but it's, it's a quote that sort of resurfaces over time, you know, throughout again and again, it's sort of this idea of, you know, thoughts become your, what you think is what you say. Okay. Mm -hmm. What you say is what you do. And what you do becomes your legacy. So that's how Brandon says it. What you think is what you say. What you say is what you do. And what you do becomes your legacy. You know, another way of thinking of it is thoughts become things. Um, you know, Tyrese said the other day that uh, visions are physical. So it's all the same, right? Your, uh, abracadabra literally means your words are your magic wand. Speak your words into existence. Write that's them down. That's what I heard you say uh, in a recent interview we did together. You said your word is your wand and whatever you say becomes the reality. However you swing that thing. And as an extension, when I heard that from you, I started developing identity or not developing identity, but studying identity and how our beliefs, our actions will never contradict our beliefs. And so when we're talking about execution being the game, a lot of people have these thoughts and these visions and these things that they want to go out, they want to do and they want to create and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, what I've kind of uncovered and discovered is that nobody will take an action if it's a contradiction to a belief that they hold either about themselves or about somebody else or about this or that and the other thing. And it may have been why I asked the identity question, but what I've seen throughout my reality, the last, I think it was 12 to 18 months, we talked in that recent interview, probably 18 months ago, and I started studying the power of your identity and went through other coaching on, on that topic. And I started noticing that if I had this thing that I wanted to do, I would have to sit back and think about, okay, now who do I have to become right. in order to make this thing a reality? Well, if I want to create a podcast and interview the most influential people in the world, who do I have to become in order to accomplish that goal? And I, and I think that makes execution so much easier when you're not contradicting the beliefs you have about yourself or other people. Can I give you a great, it just made, gave me chills you saying that, but it just reminded me of 
So I just wrote this down. My wife and I were just having coffee the other morning. Okay. And you're, you know, I'm not even going to preface it with what I think your reaction is going to be, but I'm just going to show it, share it with you. So I wrote this goal down, right? Buy the Chicago Bears. Okay. What's your reaction to that, by the way? I'm curious. I saw that the other day. I was like, hell yeah. He's going to Okay. It. <laughs> like I was thinking about, I was showing somebody else and it kind of clicked in my head why I wrote that down because in order for me to be able to accomplish this goal, think about all the things I have to become first in order to make this happen. Yes. Yeah, so it's yeah, almost yeah. like the ultimate goal because it's going to allow me to achieve all the other goals. And guess what? Maybe I don't ever buy the bears, but think about all the stuff that I'll accomplish to try and get here. Oh, without question. Right. So it's like, you know, set that high mark, that, that big vision for yourself. It, can, it doesn't have to be buy the Chicago bears, but it could be, run you know hike the top of uh the himalayas or it could be mm -hmm. uh you know take my family to hawaii on a private jet right like something like that because think about all the other things you're gonna have to become to your point in order to put yourself in that position i uh, without question results are a byproduct of belief and they're a, a byproduct of action and i think that if people would start to look at the results that they want really not so much as you know yeah, we want to go out and we want to accomplish these things. But when you change the question, you ask yourself, like, who do I have to become? You, you so much fall in love with the process of getting to where it is that you're going to go. Because I used to be very achievement driven, very, I want to get this thing. I want to own this thing. I want to buy this thing. And when I switched the, when I, when I flipped the switch and, and started thinking about, okay, well, who do I have to become in order to do these things? there's so much more to fall in love with about what it is that you're trying to achieve along like that journey. And it's just incredible because the, the thing that it is that you're after becomes not, not so much insignificant, but it just becomes like a, like, okay, cool. Like I, I like that. I got that, but who I became is who I'm in love with. And that, that's, that's just, it's so powerful from a, from it's, a it's, it's physical. It's, it's, it's emotional. It's your body, your mind, your spirit. Yeah. I mean, it's all of it. And, um, you know, at some level it's, it's literally comes down to your vibrations and mm -hmm. what level you're vibrating at. And I'll give you a good example. So we went to the 10 X growth town a couple of weeks ago. You know, we recently brought over Grant and Elena Cardone. Yes. To EMP. Big get, big get. Congrats. Um, thank you. And me and my team was very involved in that process and our organization ended up getting them in our downline. And so, you know, just unbelievable life-changing experience just for that and then we went down to the 10x to kind of you know kind of keep going through it and um and i'll even share with i don't even think i've said this to anybody but i, I kind of almost was like i don't want to do another conference and i'm kind of and it was like still we just had covid probably two or three weeks before so mm -hmm. i was kind of like you know oh shoot and uh but i'm glad i pushed through that bs and i get like anxiety around crowds and i get nervous when i have to go up in front of people and i actually passed out giving a speech in uh sophomore uh communications class and, <laughs> so i you know i can play basketball in front of ten thousand people but if i have to talk yes. to a crowd of five or more i get like super nervous sweaty right? <laughs> pits right and um and one thing i noticed and i picked this up actually a little bit of the terms of this concept at a tony robbins event they had a guy mm -hmm. the guy who founded beach body He'd get, he opened the day and he'd be like, get up and go, yeah. And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, no, let's do it again. Stand up and go, yeah. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and by the third or fourth time, you're like, yeah, let's go. You know, you're jumping on your seat and 
he literally used the phrase like, I'm conditioning your nervous system, right? You're conditioning your nervous system. And I'm, you know, I was doing the whole biohacking thing and I'm getting into the, the parasympathetic nervous system stuff. And it started to click for me because you're literally like a lot of us talk about this and you probably deal with this all the time in your coaching and your leadership, right? You, you, you've got a, a client of yours or somebody comes in and, they, and you go, hey, I suggest or you should try adding this, this and this to your program or your, your activities or your workload or whatever. And what do they inevitably say? Like when you tell them to add more things to their plate, what do they say? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, another thing. I, got, I got too much going on. Yeah. I don't have time. Yeah. Well, I mean, who doesn't, right? We all have a plate. But here's the fallacy or here's the, here's the limiting belief that they have. They believe that the plate is finite. Mm. So in other words, let's use your nervous system as the plate. Okay. So how does Tony Robbins jump around 15 hours a day, five days a week, travels the world, gives out a million turkeys for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, right? Like runs 200 companies, you know, Grant Cardone, like, you know, always on, always doing stuff, whether it's Easter, like the over the top Easter stuff with his family, or he's doing, you know, the, the longest fireworks display from the biggest cruise ship with fat Joe concert you've ever seen. I mean, how does this guy do this? All these on every clubhouse, right. you know, constantly it's because he's conditioned his nervous system to handle more. And it just takes a little bit of ratcheting up every day. Right. You know, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And pretty soon you don't even realize you're running 200 companies and you're on the go and you're jumping in and off private jets every two seconds. And you're, you've got an amazing family and amazing experiences all over the place and you're creating this limitless success and wealth for people and that's kind of what i i experienced at the 10x growth time was i was holding myself back you know i was starting to kind of get complacent you know i wasn't surrounding myself with people that were elevating at a higher level you know mm -hmm. i was sort of kind of the you know sitting on top of my organization kind of like the guy that's made it feet up on the desk and, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of bullshitting myself a little bit, pardon my French, but I was kind of just, you know, I wasn't growing at that point. I was, so I was, so here's, this is crazy. So I, I've been struggling with some, some throat pain mm -hmm. in the past. Okay. I talk a lot, Grant, right. You know, so I, I've got the kind of deep tone. So I had some throat pain and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to a three day event, talk all the time and da 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 da. And, um, and then in the event, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I got to let that go. I got to stop thinking that all the time because it's literally, it, it, and I've come home after three, four days of chest beating music and light shows and people on stage and Mr. Wonderful and Tyrese and A-Rod and I've come home. I've been, I've worked 10 times harder than I did before the couple mm. weeks before or the last year, no throat pain. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like I just said, I'm not. And it was actually Jesse Isler who, you know, if you guys don't know Jesse, Jesse Isler, yeah. he's like the Forrest Gump of business and music. <laughs> <laughs> he's been in every major meeting from Run DMC to, you know, Spanx. You know? And, uh, and he's talking about how he had an ultra marathon coach um, telling him, you know, he could only get to like, 50 miles and it was a hundred mile ultra marathon and he's like his body started breaking down he started and the guy just kept telling him to yell i don't quit i don't feel pain and he's just like but i'm broken man i can't even move my legs he's like i don't quit i don't feel pain say it and the guy's like i don't quit i don't feel pain 
I don't quit. I don't feel pain. Ah. And he just kept running. The guy kept yelling at him to yell it. He kept yelling it 75 miles, 80 miles, 95 miles. Eventually, he did the 100 miles. And his body and mind had completely shut down at 50. And what was the secret? Well, he just said it out loud over and over and over. He said, I don't feel pain. I don't quit. And so I swear to you, Grant, I started saying that all weekend. I was like, I'd be tired. You know, we maybe had a few too many glasses of wine the night before, and it was up again at 6 a.m. And I'm like, I'm not hungover. I don't feel pain. I don't quit, honey. Give me some aspirin. Uh, you know, but it's like, you know, I mean, I, I just started implementing that, and it's actually working. Oh, that's just so incredible. So what you're saying is that it's almost like finding an affirmation that you can tell yourself in that moment where you're just like, I don't quit. I don't feel pain. I don't quit. I don't feel pain. And it's not that you aren't actually feeling pain, maybe in some instances, but there's just something that happens in the mind where you're able to just keep pushing and keep going, even though. Well, and, and you know, Marcus Aurelius says pain is a choice, right? Uh, like you yes. decide to give that quality to that, experience like mm -hmm. you're the one who decides that that pain is painful so it yeah. starts in the mind right so it's like i mean you know it sounds a little woo woo but there's like hardcore science that backs this up you know i i, I kind of use in the health and wellness space i talk about how your body is a healing machine mm -hmm. okay so just chew on this for a second right so your body knows nothing else but heal it's set to heal Right, mm -hmm. set for growth and heal. That's it. All, that's all it knows how to do. So that's the machine's purpose, your body, right? And it just needs two things to run optimally. It needs a good program and it needs good raw materials. So you got to feed it the right nutrients, minerals, mm -hmm. you know, liquids, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you got to have the right program running or the machine's not going to do what it's supposed to do, right? It's not going to be optimized. And so, in other words, the thoughts, and the diet will allow you to heal pretty much anything. You know, your body will be able to heal anything it needs to heal. Mm -hmm. uh, you're the machine that heals yourself. Doctors don't do it. Medicine doesn't do it. You know, so well, how do you turn your machine back to heal? Well, you got to start running the right programs, telling yourself, saying the right thing. So, yeah, that mantra of I don't feel pain, I don't, I don't, I don't quit. Um, you know, is just the program. I'm, I'm literally scoring into my brain tissue, right? I'm, I'm, I'm etching because every thought we have is like, you know, like, like I think we said this in the last conversation, but I, I use the metaphor of like walking over clean, you know, beautiful, pristine mm -hmm. snow and muddy boots, right? So every thought is like walking yeah. over that, that. And if you keep having that same thought, now by the way, thoughts are bad. Or I mean, thoughts are impactful. Saying it's 10 times worse, right? So if you're right. saying negative things, or if you're thinking negative things, that's bad. If you're saying them out loud all the time and you keep repeating like, I'm no good, I could never, I could never do what Grant and Brian do. Those guys are, mm -hmm. they're just confident. They put it out there. Yeah. And you just keep saying it and saying it. Pretty soon you're, you know, you're literally, it's, it's physiological. You're, you're scoring a, uh, Wim Hof wow. calls them downtrodden neurological pathways. You're literally just like etching this, this canyon in your brain and you can't ever get out of it or it's going to be really hard to get out of it. So hard. What I was going to say a second ago is that you, you, when you said that your, your, your mind, your body 
will heal itself if you feed it the right things, the right thoughts, the right uh, nutrition, those types of things. It will heal a sob story. <laughs> it will totally heal that sob story. Maybe that because I've had one. Look, I'm not the guy that woke up and was really successful. I'm the guy that from a very young age went out and made a lot of money, made a lot of dumb decisions, lost it all, made a lot of money again, made a lot of over investing, over hedging decisions, lost it all, and, and made it again. Like I'm the guy that's gone up and down and up and down, and, and I've just learned so much through that process. And that thankfully, I, I believe I've learned enough so maybe I can kind of minimize the downs a little bit. Yes. But that everything that you have just said is you know something that is so healing to that sob story because when you're down in the trenches and life just feels blah you got to understand what what it was that got you there i think a lot of people believe that it's these external situations or circumstances my preacher we were talking about covid he said covid you've either been exposed to it or you've been exposed by it Mm-hmm. And I think it's so powerful when you sit back and write that down. <laughs> yeah. well, and it's, it's the same thing with greatness. And I, I kind of tra- uh, paraphrase the quote, say greatness, you've either been exposed to it or you've been exposed by it. Because when you go out there and you set out to achieve these incredible things, greatness will expose you uh, to what it is that you must become in order to achieve it. And everything that you just talked about when you're talking about feeding the mind and feeding the body and, and, and the, the, the rituals and the routines that you can develop to, to pull yourself out of any situation is something that greatness will expose you to. And it's so powerful when you're talking about what you consume and, 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 and those types of things and how that really affects you. And I couldn't agree more that, you know, it's, it's bad enough to think bad, but it's also, it's, well, it's statistically, uh, I was listening to Tom Belew's podcast, Impact Theory. He was interviewing a mindset coach that worked a lot with collegiate athletes. And he says that if you think a bad thought, it's likely to happen. But if you say a bad thought, I think he said it was like eight or 18 times more likely to happen because you right. said it. Yeah, it cuts both ways, right? You can build things and create amazing life for yourself, or you can destroy and put yourself in a prison, and it's just what comes out of your mouth is the difference. How how do you get out of those phases? Like, what what is it for you that does it? Because everybody has bad thoughts. I mean, no, it's not like we're all immune to this. But how do you move through those things? Is it is it just the power of positive thinking? Cold water and breath work. There we go. Can you can you can you unpack that for us a little bit? Like what, cold what do you water, do to baby. get over it? Oh, I hear it, but cold water. because um, it sucks, right? Cold water freaking sucks. So let's go back to the uh, you know the original thing we were talking about, which was ultimately uh, you know uh, there's a phrase I'm I'm kind of gravitating towards right now. It's obstacles are not in your way; obstacles are the way. Yes. Okay. So it's sort of like, again, we're talking about manufacturing crisis events so that I'm putting my back up against the wall. Sometimes it's subconscious, sometimes it's intentional. So if you think about this idea of obstacle immunity, for example, right? Uh, Joe DeSena, who came up with uh, Spartan Racing and you know, was, wrote the book Spartan Up, he has this like, concept called obstacle immunity. Well, what is obstacle immunity? Obstacle immunity is a, is a skill you can develop and you develop it by intentionally putting obstacles in front of your path. So if you intentionally jump in cold water, and I used to do this as an athlete, I'll, I'll even take you back to one of my first 
uh, mentors when I was a little athlete was Walter Payton, right? And everyone's like, oh, Walter Payton was your mentor? Well, yeah, for like 10 seconds. I ran into him. We were actually, me and my buddy Jeremy were throwing the ball around. Jeremy Moss, who's now a business partner of mine, he was my eighth grade uh, running back, and I was the quarterback. And uh, we were just tossing the ball around on a toboggan hill, Centennial Park in Chicago. And Walter Payne and Mike Singletary were there, and they had the trash bags on over their, their uh, Hans and Franz sweat shirts, and, you know, they were up there running hills. And, I, and, and, they, and we, they kind of ran into us. We ran into them. Oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, this is like in the 80s in Chicago, right? So, like, nobody cooler than Walter Payne, right? Uh, and Michael Jordan wasn't even, you know, just barely coming on the scene. And so um, – and so he comes up to us and he goes, hey, kids, you want to be great? Run hills. And we were like, oh, cool. wow. Is he, Walter Payne put his hand on my forehead. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what did I do after that? I ran hills. And it got me all the way through college. Uh, earned me a scholarship. It paid for my education. And, and literally, it was my hack. It was the first biohack that I'd ever learned was make it harder in practice. Habituate yourself. So I started dribbling the basketball up the hill. I started doing lane slides up the hill. So what do you think when I got on the flat wood surface basketball court, do you think those, those muscle stabilizers that I learned from the basketball bouncing this way and that way, and you know, me running backwards up the hill and making it 10 times harder than running flat, do you think I was better when I got in the game or worse? Right. Of course I'm going to be better because I made it harder in practice. So obstacle immunity is intentionally putting obstacles in your path so that when life throws them at you randomly you're not only ready for it you're excited about it and you look forward to it i uh when we when we talked the last time you you were adamant about um you know cold water and and, and how to use that and you, you got me started on taking cold showers and you look great by the way I see, I see the reds uh, <laughs> or maybe you went golfing. I don't know. <laughs> no, I was, I was out in sun a little bit this weekend, but um, I started taking cold showers and I didn't, I hated it. Like without question, didn't want to do it and started just forcing it and found a rhythm for myself that worked really well. But no matter what five days, five out of seven days throughout the week, I would get a cold shower uh, for at minimum 60 seconds of just ice cold water and it really helped me develop that mental muscle, that uh, fight or flight response, and, and just develop, you know, some of those tools in my mental tool belt. And it's allowed me to truly thrive in a lot of different experiences, whether it was good or bad. Um, I attribute a ton of success to that cold, cold shower. I know that people maybe listen to this, like, I'm not getting in the cold shower. It's like, look, for me, it was the, the mindset that it helped me develop because I'm committed to this. I'm going to do it. That's one huge mental thing. Uh, getting through that cold water therapy, like that's a second huge mental thing. And just how that prepares you to go out there and live from a day-to-day -day standpoint. I mean, every morning, 4.30, I'm up, 5 o'clock, I do an hour of very intense workout. And then I hit that cold shower. Like before the day starts for most people, I've already done some very crappy things. <laughs> and I, mentally, yeah, it's just I'm in a different place. Cold. Yeah, if a cold shower is the hardest part of your day, the rest of your day is a breeze. Yeah. I'm going to bring it all home, and I'm going to tie stoicism to Brandon Dawson to uh, cold showers to leadership. So, so uh, the Stoics talk about um, freedom. What is freedom? The only freedom we have is the freedom to use rational thought to respond to what happens to us. Okay, so life happens. Things happen. People die. People, you know, there's disasters. There's tragedies. And, you know, you get put in jail. You get put in 
you know, whatever you get, uh, whatever. And then you can either react emotionally or you can respond rationally. And if you react emotionally, you're giving your freedom away. You're giving your autonomy away, right? So, so if you think about um, the parasympathetic nervous system, Brandon Dawson was talking about in 360, he said, um, when things start going haywire, he gets calmer. You know, when people start losing their heads, he relaxes and, 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 and gathers his thoughts. And then what is that losing your head? That's your parasympathetic nervous system. That's your fight or flight response. So if you practice every day getting in cold shower and staring down that your body, your mind, everything says, get out, get out. You're, you're too cold. Pull up. You know, the plane's about to go, you know, dee, 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 dee. And you're like, I don't even hear the buzzers because my adrenaline's coursing through my veins and I'm, I've got tunnel vision and I can't even think straight. And, you know, I'm, I'm arguing with my wife. I'm arguing with my kids. My business partners are threatening to sue me. If you practice adrenaline management on a daily basis, do you think you're going to rise to the occasion when, when S is hitting the fan? Or do you think you'll have a better chance of acting rationally if you practice throwing yourself into crisis situations? Or do you think you'll have a worse chance of practicing, you know, of acting rationally during a crisis event if you practice it every day? Without question, you're going you're gonna to be better. You're going to be prepared. Yeah. So it's all part of the same stuff, right? It's like I am training my mind and my body to respond rationally to what happens to me versus letting my emotions and my, my feelings and my, you know, fight or flight response dictate how I react. I love it. I think it's so important if you're listening to this, some people have a tendency to listen to this and say, well, I'm not Grant or Brian. I've done these crazy big things and done this or that. I think that it's so important to realize that life is a series of crisis moments. I mean, it, it really is. Right, small and big, right. <laughs> small and big, without question. And so when you start to develop this muscle, even if you feel like you're the most average Joe on planet Earth, you don't have a lot of meaning. And I, and I, I hope that is not anybody listening to this. But if you do feel that way, like I'm not good enough, you have this inadequacy, all these types of things, if you can start to develop this muscle, like Brian just described, uh, even where, wherever you are at in life, I don't care if you're homeless and somehow you gain access to an audio and you listen to this recording, if you can start to develop this muscle on a daily basis to develop your brain for crisis management, life is a series of these types of events. And the yeah. better and more prepared you are to mentally deal with them, the more that you will thrive, no matter what, no matter where, no matter who, when COVID hit, uh, I think it was obviously March of last year, we, we threw literally everything out the window from a content standpoint. The only thing that we talked about was mindset right. and leadership and developing your mind to thrive in the moment that you're at in and, and giving people tips and tricks to be able to, to kind of start developing and, and doing those types of things. Right. And I think it's so important. I think, I think man, the work that you're doing Everything. is incredible. And uh, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you stopping by the show. This was, uh, again, an incredible interview. The first time I met you in person, it was just totally random. I was putting on an event uh, at, uh, I think it was Ganey Ranch there in Arizona. And you just happened to walk in. I said, that's Brian Colhane. I'm going to go say, hey. And I said something to you and you said, hey, man, I'm just a, a collector of success stories. And you do uh... so good. Uh, the work that you do is so impactful. And I want you to know that we've only had obviously two, three conversations, but you put me on the shelf, man. You've definitely helped me 
in a massive way, just the, the few conversations we've had, uh, a lot of the stuff you know and the content you're putting out and the words you're putting out, just like you are on this show, it's, it's been deeply impactful for me and I know it's going to be really impactful for other people. So I can't tell you. No, how I appreciate you, brother. And I feel the same way. And, you know, from the moment I first saw one of your first, you know, I think it was a Zoom call or I, you know, probably it was probably back when you were a blogger and I was reading some of your stuff, but <laughs> I've always been a fan of you and your content. And, uh, you know, obviously anytime I can help you or refer you to anybody, you let me know. And, you know, I think, and I just want to share this for your audience. One last little thought. You know, mindset is not a finite situation. Think of mindset as more like brushing your teeth. Think of it as more as mental hygiene. You've yeah. got to practice it every day because the mind can go a million directions a million times at the speed of light, and you could make one snap decision one way, and it could radically change the entire outcome of your life. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just think about that for two seconds. It's not like you reach a point and your mind is there. It's, it's, it's a constant effort. You have to constantly be working. And so I use the term mental hygiene. I think that's the best way to think of it is you have to constantly be brushing your teeth. You have to constantly be brushing your mind and uh, staying sharp. And, and that's why we do these things, right? That's why we mm -hmm. jump on a bar. That's why we surround ourselves with champion level, vibration level, you know, super men mindset ninjas like yourself, because, you know, iron sharpens iron and, and your vibration levels elevate my vibration levels. So I appreciate you doing that for me. Uh, I love it, man. I appreciate you guys. We'll make sure that we uh, list all the ways you can connect with Brian in the show notes. Make sure you screenshot, you listen to this episode. Tag me on Instagram at like Grant Wise. I want to know what your favorite part of this was. I know that might be hard because there was a lot of great stuff in here. So thanks again, Brian. And uh, thank you all for continuing to listen. We'll see you on the next show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Words of Wisdom. This is a show designed to inspire you to become a better leader so that you can live in all areas of your life. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Please rate and review this episode on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget, go off and share your favorite words of wisdom from today's show.